the need for God's people to be educated. I don't know if it's been helped to you. I hope it has. I feel like there are too many times that we stop short of what God intends in this department. Not always intentionally, sometimes intentionally, because we let other things get in the way. But unfortunately, I'm concerned that God has so much in store for for His people in this department that we leave untapped. Completely untapped for the vast majority of our Christian lives. There's so much God wants to reveal to us. So much, and, and not just revealed to us from the time that the preacher is preaching the word. I'm talking about that God wants to reveal to us in our private time, in our alone time with Him. So much that He wants to say to us, so much that He wants to reveal to us, so much that He wants to communicate to us. And unfortunately, because of our schedules and because of our society and because of, frankly, a, 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 an alarming lack of interest. We leave all of these resources untapped that God has for us, and it devastates me to see. I think that in some ways this was going on in Colossae. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe to some degree it was going on. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the reverse of each of these things that Paul's talking to the church about and try to apply them into our own lives. So in the way of review... You'll remember a few weeks ago, we're calling this the letter to the Laodiceans. And a few weeks ago, we began looking at the need for God's people to be real. Uh, Sincerity, I would contend, is probably the most sought after aspect of Christianity. I know for me personally, whenever I first walked in the doors of this building, there was primarily one thing I was looking for. It was sincerity. Uh, there were a lot of things that I could overlook. There were a lot of things that I could uh, g- get on board with. But it really boiled down to the sincerity of you and your, your congregation and, and what I saw here that first drew me and, and gave me a, a desire to come here and to be a part of this body. And I know for, for folks that come and visit here, that's if, if they have any kind of a spiritual discernment, if they have any interest in God's will, I, I believe that probably the first thing they're going to be looking for when they walk into this building is, are the people real? Are they sincere? And I do believe it's also something that God searches for in His church. He wants sincerity. He wants us to be real. And then the second thing we began looking at two weeks ago was the need for God's people to be educated. Educated primarily in the Word of God and in the things of God. Um, the, the sad truth is, is with all the ignorance that we see in our nation, in our world, regarding the things of God, there's really no excuse for it. I, I can't sit here and tell you that, that this is a good reason why we're ignorant. There isn't a good reason why we're ignorant. I don't know how many times you've been pulled over for speeding, <clears throat> I'm not looking over here. I, I see fingers getting pointed over here. I'm not even going to look, okay? I have been. And one of the most embarrassing times to get pulled over for speeding is whenever you're parked about 40 feet past the speed limit sign. Been there, done that. Driving through Spencer. I tell you, oh, I'll tell you. You all know what I'm talking about. Spencer's a tough place to drive through. 
They want you to go 25 miles per hour and they don't mean 26. They mean 25. And I was driving through Spencer one night and I come around the corner there at McDonald's to head up 231. And I'm heading up 231 and sure enough, right as I make the turn, here come the lights. Not, not even 400, 500 yards into it. Here come the lights. I pull over to the side of the road and the officer says, I caught you going 44 miles per hour. And I said, well, I thought that the speed limit was 40. And he said, no, 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 no. The speed limit was 35 until the speed limit sign. I said, I didn't see the speed limit sign. He said, look in your rear view mirror. And I did, and sure enough, I was parked about 40 feet away from the speed limit sign. I had just passed it, but before I passed it, he clocked me going 44 through there and pulled me over for it. Uh, that was the time that I told you about that I was very fortunate that somebody came by and went zooming past us and he said, I'm going to just let you off the hook this time. And he jumped in his car and went and pulled them over. And that was pretty fortunate for me. But uh, I say that to say it's one thing to be out in the middle of nowhere where you haven't seen a speed limit sign for the last 30 miles. And the police officer pulls you over and says, hey, I caught you going over the speed limit. You could have a case maybe to say, I didn't know what the speed limit was here because I haven't seen a sign for a while. But whenever you're in an area where there's speed limit signs every mile or every two miles, you have no excuse to be ignorant of what the speed limit is. And the truth is, is we've got God's word by the stacks here in our country. We have no reason to be ignorant of the things of God. It's all around us. It's inside of us. It's outside of us. It's on the radio. It's on the television. It's in our homes two, three, four, five times over. And yet here we are abiding in ignorance. There's no excuse for it. As we've looked over the last couple of weeks, we saw, first of all, the focus of knowledge. The focus of knowledge. We're trying to know His will. We're trying to know His wisdom. We're trying to know His ways. And as we get to know Him and what His intentions are for our lives, the more we know that and the more we apply that, the more we are transformed into His image and the more we're able to glorify His holy name. Last week, we looked at the fruits of knowledge. What takes place in my life? What are the, what are the practical things that take place in my life when I begin to know God's Word in a deeper way than maybe I've ever known it before? I'll list them off for you quickly. First of all, when we are getting to know God better in His Word, when we're committed to it, the first fruit is that our walk is pleasing. Number two, our works are good. Number three, our knowledge continues to increase. Number four, our might is strengthened. Number five, there is a cons our consistency is fortified. And number six, our joy is filled. Let's look at it. Colossians chapter number one, and we'll jump in at verse number nine. Colossians chapter one, verse nine. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And a desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. As we looked at verses 9 and 10 last week and verse 11, 
We tried to point out that his one request, his one desire, his one prayer request is that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And he goes immediately into verse 10 and says that ye might walk worthy. The result of growing in your knowledge of his will, having his wisdom and having spiritual understanding, the result of that are all these things that we went through last week. Now, you'll remember on Sunday morning, we considered the main source of life, didn't we? You remember that as an illustration, the main source of life? We ultimately determined that the Holy Spirit is the main source of life. If you were to go back and trace life back to its very beginning, what you're going to find both spiritually and physically is that it all begins with the Holy Spirit of God. All right? Well, just as life has a main source, so knowledge has a main source. If we were to trace all wholesome knowledge back to one singular source, it is in fact God himself. And what's amazing is, is whenever we talk about God's word, God's word, that is the bursting forth of the knowledge that God has that he intended to get to humanity. There are certain things that go unsaid in the word of God. And if, if you're a student of the Word of God, there are times that it can annoy you. It can frustrate you. It can leave you longing, to honestly longing for heaven. I was just mentioning to Emily on the way here, one of our top, can I tell them one of our top names? Can I say that out loud? Okay. One of our top names. We have a top name for our baby girl that's coming. And we've got to get this nailed down. And, and it's coming along rather quickly here, and we've got to get it nailed down. And, and in the top of our list is the, the name Salem. We love the name Salem. But there is this evil little thing that hangs out over here, the witch trials in the town of Salem, that has me hung up. It, it's had me hung up for months. And I just can't quite get around it. But I, it still is a beautiful name. I love the name. And the name is first brought to prominence Whenever there is a king mentioned in your Old Testament in association with Lot and Abram, it was King Melchizedek. And the place that Melchizedek was the king of was Salem. Melchizedek, king of Salem. The word Salem means peace. It's good, right? I like that. Later on in your New Testament... Melchizedek's name comes up again. And we're told that Jesus was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek's mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. And then he's mentioned this, this time in the New Testament. And there's a lot about Melchizedek that's left unsaid. We don't know very much about him. You can theorize. You can, you can try to you know, pull some things here and there, but you're really, it's nothing more than theory. I wish I knew more about Melchizedek, but it's not in here. I've only been given what I've been given. What God has given us in his word is the parts of his knowledge that he intended for you and I to have on this earth. That's what we've got in our hands. I want you to look at some verses with me and then we'll get into the meat of this thing. 
Look at Proverbs chapter number 2, verse 6. Hold your place there in Colossians because we're going to be right back there. But I want you to turn with me back to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 2, verse 6. A very familiar passage of Scripture, but I want to just drive this point home that God is the main source of all wholesome knowledge. There is good knowledge and there is bad knowledge. God is not the source of bad knowledge. He's the source of all wholesome knowledge. Proverbs chapter number 2. And we will jump in at verse number 6. Let's look at that together. There it is. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Who? The Lord giveth wisdom. Out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He is the main source of all wholesome knowledge. Now turn right on over to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2 and verse 26. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2 and verse 26. Just one book to your right. Ecclesiastes 2.26. Let's drive it home again. <clears throat> verse 26. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. I'm going to read it again. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. God is the main source of all wholesome knowledge. Now turn with me to the book of John. I'm sorry, the book of Daniel. John's later on in my notes. Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel chapter number 2. One of the single most knowledgeable men in your entire Bible is Daniel. And Daniel reveals to us where all that came from. You ready? Daniel chapter number 2. And let's look at verse number 21. I need to... I need to scroll in on my notes. I've got my notes all tiny. There we go. Now I can see. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. I'm going to have to edit that part out of my recording so nobody hears that part. I couldn't see my notes. That's not good. The truth is I can't read my notes. I can't read my writing right there. Now I can see it though. 2.21. It says, And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He, God, giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. God is the main source of all wholesome knowledge. And that's what I want to focus on tonight back in Colossians chapter 1 is the father of knowledge. The father of knowledge. You know, I have such scholarly brothers. My brothers and my sister, all three, they are very scholarly people. They're very knowledgeable people. They have been, they've had more years, I think, in education, learning than I have perhaps living, it seems like sometimes. And I'm amazed by some of the things they know and the, the amount that they know. And, and their knowledge is good knowledge. It's, it's, it's just amazing to me. Uh, Adam and Aaron and Carrie, all three of them, what they know is just, it just astounds me. But there's one thing that I know that they all three would agree with. And that is the pinnacle of knowledge. The pinnacle of knowledge is not something that you're going to learn in a 45-minute long class in a semester at college. It's, it's not. You're not going to find the pinnacle of knowledge there, more than likely. You're not going to find the pinnacle of knowledge from some uh, super smart individual. You're not going to be able to search out an incredibly intelligent person and be able to find the pinnacle of knowledge with them and the things that they say. 
the pinnacle of knowledge, if you ask me, and I, like I said, I think any, any really, really intelligent Christian would say the same thing, that the pinnacle of knowledge is Jesus himself. If you were to search the whole world over and find the highest attainment of knowledge, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. You could know everything there is to know about a particular subject, but if you don't know Christ, what do you have? You have nothing. You could know all that there is to know about sports. You can know all there is to know about politics. You can know all there is to know about current events. But I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus, what good is any of it? And so as we look at the father of knowledge and the knowledge that he has given to you and I, it all revolves around one person. It all revolves around Jesus. Look at verse number, uh, look at verse number uh, 11 with me again. We'll kind of read this in context. Our focus will be on verse 12 and 13, but look at verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to its glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. How does this become possible in the Christian's life? I would contend it becomes possible by knowledge. It becomes possible by knowledge. Why is it that you and I are told to go to the whole world and do what? Teach. That's what we're told to do. We are told to go to the known world and teach them about Jesus. All the things that he could tell us to do, he doesn't say love them, although we're to speak the truth in love. He doesn't say feed them, although we are to give to the poor. He could have given us all these different remedies for all these different problems But the one thing he tells us that we must do first and foremost is teach. Teach them Jesus. I would contend that the way that these three things that we're going to highlight tonight are possible is by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the pinnacle of all knowledge. And there is only one way that this knowledge could get from heaven to earth, and it was by God giving it to us through his word. The pinnacle of knowledge delivered to you and I by God himself in this inspired book. Let's jump in here and let's dig into this. And I hope it helps you. Uh, First thing I want you to notice is the phrase, made us meet. Oh, this is good stuff. Ready? Verse number 13, or verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The words there made us meet, it means to it means to qualify. Literally, I do no injustice to the text to say that God has qualified you and me. How did he do this? Well, let's consider it. So in this idea of him making us meet, I, I would contend that he makes us meet by a knowledge of the redemptive work of Christ. Now, hold on tight with me here for a moment. You and I, we are unqualified to begin with, right? If we need to be qualified by God, then that means before God, before Christ, we are unqualified. What is it that makes us unqualified? Our sin. 
We have fallen short of the glory of God, and that for, the, for that reason we are unqualified. And God has to do the work of qualifying us. What does God use to qualify us who are unqualified? Redemption. He takes something that has absolutely no value and he gives the blood of his son as a price paid for that thing. You, me, we are that thing. We are unqualified in our sin and by the sacrifice of his only son and his redemptive work on the cross of Calvary, you and I who were unqualified now become qualified. Praise God for that. Amen. And it is the knowledge of that that makes redemption possible. Now, it is not what brings redemption. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. You might want to write this down so you can look at it later. Faith and knowledge go hand in hand. You can have knowledge without faith. And that knowledge is null and void. You can have faith, but you can't have it without knowledge. So here it is. You ready? You and I, we're going to know what we believe, and we are to believe what we know. Know what you believe, and believe what you know. There is a verse in your Bible that says that even the devils believe and they tremble. You've heard that? The demons, they know who Christ is. They know what God is capable of. They know, they don't want to admit it, they'll never admit it. If the earth goes for another thousand years, that they won't admit it. But they know who wins in the end. They know. The problem is, that knowledge was left undone. They themselves did not rest by faith in that knowledge. I'll show you at the end of this lesson tonight. I know we're getting into some deeper stuff, and I don't want to lose you tonight. But I'm going to show you in a verse in 1 Thessalonians later tonight that faith is what activates knowledge in the hearts of God's people and makes that knowledge an active part of my life. To know something is not enough. That's what I'm trying to say. To simply know the truth is not enough. We must rest by faith in that truth. All right? So with that said, knowledge of the redemptive work of Christ is not what brings redemption. It is faith in that knowledge that brings redemption. Does that make sense? I know the truth, but whenever I place my life into the hands of that truth... It activates that truth and makes it a part of my life. I'm trying to think of a good illustration. I should have broke down a great illustration before I went into this. But I'll just trust the Holy Spirit to just plant it right into your heart. Okay? So, bear with me here. Made us meet, God has qualified us. Faith in this knowledge is what delivers forgiveness to God's people. Where sin abounded grace did much more abound and so what god does whenever i place my faith in the knowledge of his redemptive work when i trust that jesus died for me at that moment i experience the result of that is i experience forgiveness and i'm not talking about a superficial forgiveness where i feel better for a little while i'm talking about that third stanza 
of the, one of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. It says, My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. I'm talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness comes into my life and becomes an active part of my life whenever I have faith in the knowledge of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the result of this? Once I know the redemptive work of Christ, once my soul has rested in the redemptive work of Christ and the result of that in my soul is forgiveness, once all of that has taken place, what does my life look like at that point? Well, look at the verse again with me. Verse number 12, giving thanks to the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What happens whenever I place my faith in the knowledge of the redemptive work of Christ, thus being forgiven of all of my trespasses, past, present, and future, the result is that I become a partaker of the inheritance. I, who at one point was unqualified, least qualified of everyone I knew, now, not because of what I've done, but because of what the Father has revealed to me and, and given me faith enough to believe and rest in it, because of what God has done, I now, who was unqualified, now am qualified. He has made us meet. Praise the Lord for that. So the Father of knowledge has given us a knowledge of the redemptive work of Christ. But number two, the Father of knowledge has given us a knowledge of the rescuing work of Christ. Let's jump into this one. Look at verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? So not only did He make us meet, but then the second thing He does through the knowledge of Christ is He delivers us. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That, that phrase delivered there gives us the idea that God has liberated us. God has liberated us. Not only has God qualified us, but God has liberated us. Whenever we understand the rescuing work of Christ, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We all live and we all die, and after that one death is a judgment, right? Judgment day is coming. There is eternal torment awaiting those that are lost. And whenever we place our faith in the knowledge of the rescuing work of Christ, you and I are freed from that trying day. We are freed from the penalty of our sin. That is a work that only Christ can do. And how does that become an active part of my life? Well, the first thing I got to do is I got to know that it happened. I got to know what God has done to affect it. And once that knowledge has reached me through the preaching of God's word, through the gospel tracts that I've been handed, through the different means and methods God uses to gospelize the lost, as that word gets to me and that knowledge is raised up in front of me, now I can place my faith, my soul can rest in that knowledge. And the result of me resting in the knowledge of the rescuing work of Christ is that I become freed. And I'm not talking about just a freedom where I can just go and do what I want to do. I'm talking about a deep, a soul deep freedom. 
Not only freedom from the eternal torment that was mine to bear because of my sin, but I'm talking about freedom to live the way God wants me to live. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom to be able to say no to sin and be able to say yes to God. Freedom to experience sanctification. Freedom, freedom, freedom. That comes to me when I allow my soul to rest in the knowledge of the rescuing work of Christ. Now, once all this takes place, the knowledge of the rescuing work of Christ is raised up in front of me. My soul rests in that. The result is I now am freed like I've never been freed before. What is it that happens Number uh, on this next point? The result, we are made free from the power of darkness especially. Now, I want you to notice this. He could have told us that we were delivered from a number of different things. Verse 13, who hath delivered us, but he specifically points out the power of darkness. Now, I want to tell you why this gets me excited. Because we're living in a time where darkness feels really powerful. Would you not agree with that? Does it not look like we're on the verge of defeat? Does it not look like that darkness is so prevalent and so widespread and so powerful that we can't overcome? There's nothing better than a good comeback story, is there? And we're going to have a doozy someday. I'm telling you, I know who wins this thing in the end. And we're going to have a, we're going to have a comeback story like no other. What is it that He delivers us, His people, from? He delivers us from the power of darkness. We don't have anything to fear. As we're seeing this unrest, as we're seeing the riots, as we're seeing folks breaking in and breaking apart and breaking down, we have nothing to fear. Why? Because we know Christ, the pinnacle of knowledge. And why is it that He starts verse 12 by saying, giving thanks Because he understands where this knowledge came from. God the Father supplied the knowledge of his Son to humanity so that, number two, he can liberate us from the power of darkness. Lastly, by the way, I would write these references down. I wanted desperately to go to these passages of Scripture. But under that first point, that God has given us a knowledge of the redemptive work of Christ, you might write the reference Ephesians chapter number 1. Verses 5 through 9. Read that passage of Scripture. It does a much better job of explaining this than I can. Ephesians chapter number 1, verses 5 through 9. And then under the point that God has given us the knowledge of the rescuing work of Christ, write down the reference John chapter number 8, verses 31 and 32. John chapter number 8, verses 31 and 32. Again, does a much better job of explaining this than I can. The last thing that I want to point out to you tonight under this idea of the knowledge that God has given us, the Father of knowledge has given us about His Son, is He has given us a knowledge of the regenerating work of Christ. A knowledge of the regenerating work of Christ. Look at verse number 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. God didn't have to tell us all this, but He did. And He did it on this side of heaven. God could have left it just as simple as 
you're going to get to go to heaven someday. But Jesus, we know, spoke more on heaven than he did just about anything. He spoke a lot on hell. He spoke a lot on heaven. He spoke about eternal things. God here tells us. Now, I want you to notice one little word. I didn't even think about this until right now. I want you to notice the word hath. It's not the word will. It doesn't say, and will translate us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's not what it says. It says, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What is that, Christian? It's past tense. You know what God's saying here? He's saying you don't have to wait until you breathe your last breath here on earth. You can live as a kingdom Christian right here, right now. That's my intention. I want you to recognize that you are already a part of the kingdom. You know, that would change the way we walk through this world, wouldn't it? If we could get a hold of that. If we could deeply understand the fact that I'm not going to be a part of the kingdom. I am already a part of the kingdom. I already serve a higher power. I answer to a higher authority. God is my king. Christ is my Lord. And as a result of that, I can walk with my head held high. I can have courage. I can have boldness. Why? Because I'm already a part of the kingdom. My my king reigns supreme over all. What we see here, this word translated, gives us the idea, not only has God qualified us, not only has God liberated us, but God has changed us. This is a knowledge that God had to give to us. When we place our faith in the knowledge of the regenerating work of Christ, His ability to change, what I now have access to is fellowship. I want to I go ahead and have you turn to Ephesians chapter 2 because I don't think with my own words that I can get us from where we're at to where I want us to be unless we go to Ephesians chapter number 2. So let's go there. Ephesians chapter number 2. I hope you like this stuff. I really do. Sometimes I I steer clear of, of getting into some stuff like this only on account of I don't wanna I don't wanna bore you. I hope it just excites you to no end. I mean I just hope it just fills you right up. Look over at Ephesians chapter number two and look at verse number fourteen. It says, Therefore he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. There is a radical change taking place here. You might remember the verse, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, that says that old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. What is God doing in this regenerating work that Christ has performed in me? What He's doing is He's taking something that was old and worn down and He is changing it into something brand new. And the problem was, as the old Seth, I was at enmity with God. I was literally one of His enemies. There was no fellowship. I was an alien. Literally, if you read a few verses before, it uses that terminology in verse 12, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. 
Now look on verse number 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. What's he talking about? He's talking about the regenerating work of Christ. Christ and his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary made it possible to deliver change to you and me in a way that change had never been brought before. He literally takes in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, there was a wall Literally a curtain that hung between the holy place and the holy of holies. And whenever Jesus said it is finished, he rent that veil from top down to the bottom. It was rent from top to bottom. Now what God did in the spiritual realm simultaneously is he granted access to all of us who weren't, we weren't priests. We were anything but priests. We didn't, we didn't have the right to go in. We had no access that was granted to us until now. As God changes us, as He removes the sin, as He robes us in the righteousness of Christ. Now us who were enemies, now we have fellowship. It's what the word reconciliation is all about. Taking something that's far off and bringing it back near. Verse 17, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. God has changed us. Whenever we place our faith in the regenerative work of Christ, you and I are granted fellowship with God Himself. What is the result of this? Well, back there in Colossians chapter number 1, we are made members of the kingdom. That's the result. We, were, we, we used to be on the outside of the wall. We used to fire into that kingdom and try to pick off as many Christians as we could. We used to be the ones down there at the bottom of the wall on the outside of the kingdom that the Christians were firing the Word of God back at us and trying to pull as many as they could back in. What did God do? He dropped the drawbridge of knowledge down right in front of us. And by faith, we crossed that that drawbridge of knowledge. The moment that took place, we became part of the kingdom. And because we are part of the kingdom, we now have fellowship with the king. A knowledge of the regenerating work of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We'll close here. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And uh, I, I love how this passage of Scripture takes everything I've just said, all the different terminology and all the different things I'm trying to tie in here to one lesson, and it just states it so beautifully and so plainly. First Thessalonians chapter number 2, and let's jump in at verse number 11. <clears throat> verse number 11, and we'll read down through verse number 13. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 11. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, 
Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The phrase effectually worketh. Do you see that? Underline that if you like to mark in your Bible. The phrase effectually worketh, it means to activate or to be activated. That's why I I use that term often when I'm referring to faith in the knowledge of these things. The knowledge itself is not what activates salvation. It is faith in that knowledge that activates salvation. That's what he means there when he says, It effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's when you believe these truths that the regenerative work of Christ and the rescuing work of Christ and the redemptive work of Christ becomes a work in your heart. Who is it that's given us the knowledge? God did. It's activated by faith. Now, tying in all these thoughts under this idea, this heading of being educated, we see there in verses 11 and 12 that receiving God's Word into our knowledge is the only way to be focused on our walk. Receiving God's Word into our knowledge is the only way to bring glory to our Father. In verse 13, the first part it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Receiving God's Word into our knowledge is the only way to bear the fruit that He desires. It all starts and it all ends with this book and it is upon God's people. It is one of our highest privileges and one of our highest responsibilities to study it, to learn it, to listen to it, and to know it.